There's another podcast you should be listening to, TED Health, a podcast from the TED Audio Collective. Join host Dr. Shoshana Ungerleiter as she introduces you to leading health experts and breaks down the health questions you didn't know you had. Learn more about the way your body works and the newest insights changing the medical world, like what a smart bra means for better heart health, three ways to prepare for the next pandemic, and how we can all live healthier lives. Find TED Health wherever you listen to podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is George Karunas. He cheats death for a living. Let's talk about it. George, you can come right up on the mic. It can be rather like uncomfortably close. Uncomfortably close. Yeah. Um, this is really cool. Uh, we, you know, we could, so. Oh, I guess we should let the listeners know we're still in Toronto. We ha- we haven't left, uh, and uh, we're at the November offices uh, here in downtown Toronto. It's uh, having a great time, and we were setting up all these these interviews to talk to um, you know a plethora of people living with disease, living with illness. And uh, somehow we got set up with uh, what I don't think that many would argue against this. Uh, an interview with one of, if not the most interesting man in the world. <laughs> we were just talking about this with Drew out there, and he was like, you are the most interesting man in the world, George. We should tell everyone we're sitting here with uh, George. And I'm, I don't want to butcher your last name like Drew just did, but uh, George Karunius. Karunas. Karunas. Oh, I was, was Karunas. Oh, yeah. No, very good. Uh, host of Angry Planet, uh, adventurer, uh, yep. storm chaser, Ex- is that, explorer, is, storm explorer? chaser, adventurer, and and I'm sure many many other things. <laughs> uh, this is really cool. This is really cool. I, the, the, I think the thing that we wanted to kind of touch on is is so we sit down with people who live with. Um, all sorts of different illnesses, right? Mm-hmm. Cancer, cystic fibrosis, um, uh, mental illness, mental illness, everything. And a lot of our guests are 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 faced with, or are kind of forced to um, to look at death and really meditate on death, um, which is something that I don't think a lot of people choose to do. Myself included. So I have cystic fibrosis, and that's a big part of how I've chose to live my life. Is I'm I I I'm saying this now. I'm going, but I definitely don't compare to you. I choose to <laughs> stare death right in the face and not shy away from it. However, you you and, and I don't have a choice. You. It's what choose. I do. It's what, it's what you do. Yeah. You, you seek choose, it. You seek it. You choose to literally put yourself. Yeah. Right at death's door, door front, and knock on the door and, and run away. Like, yeah. Yeah, like you're <laughs> knock knock ginger on, on death's door. Exactly. I tell people it's it's basically my job to poke Mother Nature with a stick and see how she responds. Yeah. Right. For, so for people who don't know, I literally travel around the world documenting the most extreme forces of nature. So tornadoes, hurricanes, erupting volcanoes, avalanches, diving with sharks, swimming with piranhas. My explorations have taken me to all seven continents, at least three times each, 60 countries. Jesus. Working with 
Discovery Channel, National Geographic, my own show, Angry Planet, all of these different things. And yeah, absolutely. I, I stare death in the face on a, on a frequent basis. Yeah. Um, how, how do you, how do you be, become able to do something like that? How do you, like, what type of credentials and like, yeah, yeah. Like, Let, yeah that's a good question. Let's go back. Like, what, yeah. what was, how George, far back do you guys yeah. want to go? How old are you? How old are you? Uh, 45. What was George doing at 16? Like, what, like what, what's, a, what's a, young, a young buck, George, like back in the day? What were you up to? I was getting into music because that's how you meet girls. Yeah, <laughs> of course, nice. of course. Taylor, are you a drummer? <laughs> we, were, we were at this thing the other day in the, in the, 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 the Todd Shapiro show, and uh, he just looked at me and was like, oh, you play drums, right? <laughs> I was like, uh, I, I like drums. You know, what's really funny <laughs> is when he said that, I, in my head I went, I wonder how many. I wonder how many women have thought that exact thing. Oh, he must be a drummer. Probably oh, not. And, yeah. and then, yeah, Bri- and then Brian. No Why? Because he keeps speeding up. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and then Brian goes. And what? What he really means by that is you fade well into the background. <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't catch that part. That's really funny. Nice. So you were getting into music. Into music, yeah. And and that was my passion when I was a kid. And I wanted to sort of do it professionally. And I wanted to. I mean, play bass. That was my main instrument. You slap at the bass. Slap it at bass, <laughs> yeah. exactly. I still play. I was yeah. just playing yesterday, as a matter of fact. And so that progression went from music to I studied music at Ottawa U for a little while. I grew up in Hull, Quebec, just across the river there, right. where Ottawa goes to party. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. the drinking I, I age in, is at one year younger, and the Ottawa bars are open two hours later. Strip yeah, clubs, right? That's a big thing in, in Hull, right? I, I don't know Ottawa really at all. And before. underage drinking well. is a big thing. Like, we were we were 18, and we would always go over, and in, I think even when I was, like, 16 and 17, like, the bouncers at the bars are just like, yeah, whatever. you're close enough. Come on in. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Pretty loose. Yeah. Right. So I was a musician at that point, and then I moved to Toronto to study audio engineering, because I wanted to play in recording studios and stuff like that. Ended up becoming an audio engineer, working in numerous recording studios around the city, big studios, uh, the biggest in the country, actually, that was doing sound for film and television. So I started going, started as a musician, got into audio engineering, working mm-hmm. with bands, mm-hmm. then into sound yeah. for film and television, and now I spend a lot of time in front of the camera. So it was this, in retrospect, it, it, it all lines up. But how do, you, like, how do you make that switch from being working in sound to going, oh, well, now I should be in front of the camera? Right. In or being in Hold on. Not just in front of the camera. Yeah. But we're building up to <laughs> yeah, it. Go ahead, George. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, it just sort of happened. Yeah. Because as I was working in these studios, my love of uh, nature, science, and all of that, that I had when I was a kid, when I was six, let's go back another 10 years, yeah, when yeah, I was yeah. six, I knew the name of every single dinosaur. Jacques Cousteau was my hero. That's what I loved. Mm-hmm. I had his books, yeah. Yeah, and then yeah. when I got a little older and puberty kicked in, that's when I switched to music. But then when I got older, still, I still had that passion for mm. discovery and nature. Dinosaur names weren't impressing any of the women. In <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like, gotta, gotta fucking get rid of this dinosaur shit. Yeah. Yeah. The ladies want me to play it slap of the bass. Exactly. They don't care that you know the difference between an ankylosaurus and a, and a pachycephalosaurus. <laughs> yeah. They don't care. Right? So I watched Everybody up. has their thing. They have their thing. And but, your thing was dinosaurs. Exactly. But then I sort of got back into it. But instead of dinosaurs, it was severe weather. And I started getting into photography. And so I would take pictures of the CN Tower getting struck by lightning. And I took my first tornado chasing trip and back in 1998 where I teamed up with some storm chasers and they taught me the ropes. And so I learned like how hobby. to do weather forecasting as a hobby. And I would take my time off and I would work extra overtime, bank that time and take it as time off. Because you can always make more money, you can't make more time. Mm. It's mm. the one commodity 
that is completely non-renewable, and we all have the same amount of it, right? right? So time is far more valuable than money. Mm -hmm. So I took that extra time and was doing more and more and more, and it just progressed year after year after year. I was working full-time job and still doing trips to uh, volcanoes in Ethiopia and going to chase Hurricane Katrina and chase tornadoes and do all these things all in the same year and still hold down a full-time job. And every time the weather would get bad, my phone would ring. And it would be CBC, CTV, CNN, BBC. So I do a lot of interviews, sometimes on radio, sometimes on camera. I'd get called in to talk at, uh, for nature documentaries. And were these just uh, connections that you had made through working in, in TV? Not at all. Production, or you just, from, just from your hobby? Just from you my reputation. following your passion so, exactly. so fully and so, you know, so committed that yeah. it, people couldn't help but notice, oh, this guy's, uh, this guy's knowledgeable. Doing, knowledgeable. And, yeah. This guy knows what he's doing. Yeah. This guy's taking some cool pictures. Like, like Let's go to the guy that, uh, that li- likes this stuff because mm-hmm. it's going to be quality content for what we're trying to pump out. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And it started with storms mm-hmm. and weather and then just branched out to anything that Mother Nature has in her arsenal that will want to kill you. Right. And then I got a phone call one day. I was at one of these studios and it was a TV producer saying, I read about you in the newspaper. I love what you do. Let's make a TV show about what you do. And that's how Angry <laughs> Planet was born. Very and we, cool. we just finished shooting our 49th episode Whoa. Oh, all cool. over the world, yeah. like literally almost every corner of the earth. That's so cool. It's, so it's great. It and, cool. and the day that you have to quit a job that you already love to go and do something that you're totally passionate about <laughs> yeah. is a really, really awesome day. Oh, yeah. yeah. No and I, I remember that day very, very, very fondly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, yeah. What, have been, uh, what have been some of the, you know, when we're talking about death and staring in the face, yeah. poking nature with a stick and seeing what happens, what's, uh, what, what are some of the, the closest calls you've had with Mother Nature <laughs> fucking your shit up? <laughs> 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 to, to put it lightly. You guys want to grab a drink and sit back and relax a little bit? Because it goes on and on. I mean, it really does, it depends on the situation. I've had times when I've been inside a volcano I know that's a weird sentence. (laughs) (laughs) And and there's lava. Literally, I have to watch the trajectory of the pieces of lava flying through the air and adjust myself accordingly so that I don't get hit by these pieces of lava. Oh, my God. One of those things. And that's just one example. You're wearing protective stuff, obviously. Not always. Depends on the situation. What happens if a a piece of lava squirts squirts up like a... And touches you. Like, I know it burns you, but like, well, it could be I mean, like, like, twelve hundred to fifteen hundred degrees, and it's still rock. So this is flying two hundred meters through the air. It's still a big rock. Yeah, it's going to hurt whether yeah. it's hot or not. Then you add the heat on top of that. Oh. So, what, what was this? Thing? We we ju- like we literally just interview- had a previous interview with uh, Drew Dudley. You knew you you and Drew knew each other. He's you a good guys didn't know you guys were both going to cross paths here, uh, and you guys were kind of just like shooting the shit outside the studio here. And what? Tell me about this this like heat suit that, that you're like. Oh yeah, my first heat suit, which you got yeah. on eBay. Yeah, I, <laughs> that, well, the, these are these special protect these silver protective suits that you wear when you're working in a steel mill or, or a foundry or something like that, right? Yeah. To protect you from that radiant. You look like heat. a giant tin man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I own like three of them now, but the very first one that I got, I. Picked it up on eBay for a hundred bucks, used, got it sent to a friend of mine in Buffalo, drove down, crossed the border, picked it up from him, so I didn't have to pay the shipping cost to send it to Canada. <laughs> Is there something sketchy about 
Oh, it's totally used, sketchy. <laughs> like a used uh, secondhand hundred dollars. That seems very cheap for uh, for for <laughs> that's that's yeah. volcano protection. Very low. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, that's why I jumped at the deal. But, but you don't want to. Uh, let me just put it out there. You don't really want to buy used safety equipment on eBay. Well, no. I, I learned no. my lesson pretty quick. But that being said, is that part of the adventure? Yeah. Not intentionally. Yeah. <laughs> it adds to the story. It adds to the story. Dude, when you said that, and we and uh, you go, oh right, that was my first heat suit. Yeah, that and, was, we, that and we all so look at each funny. other going, it's so f- it's so funny. You guys are talking about that because right now I'm the the regional director of the Explorers Club, which is the the, the largest collection of explorers in the world. And we have a big meeting in New York every year. That's a fucking thing. It's a thing. <laughs> are you it's kidding a, me? It's a thing. I will be this, in it. We have how a new. We, how do we join? Oh, <laughs> get us in there. Seriously, it's a crazy application process. <laughs> I can imagine. You know, Oh, yeah. And there's like uh, mountain climbers and astronauts and scientists and Jane Goodall and all these people are all part of this, this wow. club. I just picture hey, like is, a, Chris, is Chris Hadfield? I, I'm trying it? to get a hold of him. Uh, to, to I want to sponsor him to be a member. Let's talk about after. We, we, we sat down with Chris a couple days ago and we'll we'll We'll, we'll, we'll talk. Yeah. Absolutely. So I'm just wondering, but, is there like a criteria, like a, a, a checklist of like, have you ever uh, been on an expedition to the North Pole? Have you ever not enough. Do- dove into the How into much the did you pay for you your to- first heat suit? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, but, carry on. <laughs> but, but, but the funny part is, is that the, my, that original suit, that eBay suit, <laughs> I'm in the process right now of getting it mounted and it's going into the new clubhouse that we have uh, downtown here that's, oh, cool. that's having all these artifacts and things put up and it's going to be sweet. standing in the corner. What's... What's a clubhouse like? Is it like a big tree fort? And it's kind of, <laughs> that would be awesome. Would but be there's, awesome. A, there's a travel it's a, it's company. A cave. Yeah, no, it's a big, beautiful uh, boardroom in a uh, travel company downtown here at Kensington yeah, Tours, cool. and they, oh, the I, owner is a. I a, picture a, like a dark, uh, very nice oak tables, and uh, I think and, Monty and, Burns' office. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there we go. Lots right. of leather bound books, yeah, leather, and leather bound books and scotch and scotch. cigars. And we, it's exactly what we do. Yeah, no <laughs> minus shit, the cigar. Well, actually, sometimes there are cigars, but yeah, we drink scotch and tell stories, and it's awesome. So let's talk about the logistics of. I mean, you know, Brian kind of. <laughs> tried to ask, or Taylor tried to ask, uh, what's the crazy, like, oh, what, right. facing, f- facing death, and you're like, oh, you, you know what? There's way too many things to even start. And the first thing you went to was, uh, is it called volcano diving? Like, what would you call that? Uh, volcano exploring? Uh, yeah, repelling? volcano exploring. Sure, okay, so what's the logistics behind that, and why the fuck would you do that? It's brutally difficult. Um, it, it depends on where you're going. There are certain places in the world where you can actually go and find these gigantic lakes of lava. And that's yeah. my favorite. I'm about to show you guys something. The poor podcast people are not going to get to see this. You know what? No, show it's you cool. we, can, we can just like, if you, you can you send can it to us to this, and we can, we can put it up on Twitter or something. Let me just show you an example of what it's like to be standing inside one of these volcanoes. Whoa. 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 Fuck, dude. Is that, oh my God, is that you? That is that is me. you? Yes. Whoa, we have to put this shit. up. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Let me see this. Yo, is this is this from is this footage yeah. from Angry Planet? Nope. This is just oh from an, an expedition God. I was doing. You can rewind that back, you get a that better view. So if crazy. you are if you're listening to the obviously if you're hearing this, you're listening to the podcast, Whoa. but just pause it and oh go and look look on our God. social media yeah, or website or something us, so we will that we put can, it up. But yeah. that, that is and yes, yeah. that's me in the frame there. That is insane. How much does that heat suit cost? That one is is made for me. I've got a there's a company in uh, Niagara Falls that builds them for me now. Sweet. So how, custom made. how is it like, I mean, that is a, that's so turbulent. Yes. It, it's oh so God. violent. How yeah. loud is that? It sounds like the devil's washing machine. So yeah. you're standing, it's a 400 meter rappel. So let me just rewind a little bit because you have to, this is in Vanuatu in the South Pacific between Fiji and Australia. The, uh, the island is called Ambram 
And uh, this particular volcano is a four... So we had to... Sorry, let me think here. We had to fly to base camp at the summit in a helicopter. We were there for about uh, seven or ten days. And it was a 400-meter rappel in multiple stages to get down to the very bottom. Very, very few people have been down to the bottom there. It's super difficult to get to, as you could probably imagine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. But once you're there, then you can you know, put on my suit and then walk right up to the edge. And the heat coming off of it is... It's undescribable. Whoa, I mean, you, know, how, you know how it feels when you open your your uh, oven, your yeah. oven, yeah. baking cookies. Yeah, imagine that times a thousand, and that you're feeling that. Excuse me, you're feeling that through the heat suit, like you can. Oh yeah, yeah. Geez. Oh yeah. yeah so yeah. You're, you're just like, do you have a, a coolant suit or anything underneath that? Like a, I know astronauts wear like a you know like a, a, a sort of it was like a water uh, a onesie, yeah, a suit that has like water water tubes kind of running through right. the whole thing, keeping them cool. Do you have to use that sort of thing? Or? I don't have to, but I'm looking into that yeah. for some of my other explorations. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. I have worn a suit made uh, with ice packs inside mm. for a cave that I was exploring in Mexico a few years ago with these giant crystals, but that's another story. So what's the, what's the, uh, <laughs> Crazy, what's the risk at, at going down that close and being that close to something that's, that active besides death. And, and I mean yeah, well, active and, and also un, it looks unpredictable yeah like, and the, yeah, or is there a sense yeah. of predictability there well it's 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 interesting that you, that you say that because it does look unpredictable but it actually is pretty predictable okay when a volcano is very active like that continuously it's not storing up its pressure and then exploding mm, right. like mount st helens mm-hmm. or any other or any other number like like uh Vesuvius, mm-hmm. right, right. So it's constantly venting. So you can get up pretty close, pretty close. Yeah, right. Um, the biggest issue is falling rocks because you're climbing down on these ropes. You dislodge a rock, hits you in the head, you're dead. Yeah. So that's super dangerous. The gas coming off of this is really dangerous. That's a lot of sulfur dioxide gas. It burns your eyes, stings your skin. Mm-hmm. It turns to acid when the rain falls through the gas cloud Whoa. so strong that every Whoa. little piece of metal on all of your gear just rusts almost immediately. Whoa. It, no, it's, Whoa. it's awful. What, 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 is, what if you're your breathing it? Um, We have gas masks right. to protect us from most of it. Yeah, so there's, it's the things that you don't think are obvious are the things that will kill you. And that's very, very a common thread throughout all of my adventures. It's not the most dangerous looking thing. Right. It's the other things. Yeah. Is, I mean... So it's funny, we were, we were talking to Drew and, and we were talking about how everything that uh, everyone is good at, it, at some point in your life, you fucking sucked at it, right? Like it, yeah. you were not good at it and sure. it took a while to get good at it. And I mean, I, I don't know how, how good you can become at, at exploring a volcano, but the first time you ever did that, mm-hmm. what was that experience like? And and. How has it changed since, it, like today? How has it changed? If you if you went right. today, went down to explore the, a volcano, what, like, what's the difference between day one and day today? Right. The very first volcano I ever descended down into was a place called Urta Ale in Ethiopia. And it was a mistake. You were like, how did I get here? Yeah. Oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah. We, it was, it's in the, one of the most hottest, one of, one of the hottest, driest, most inhospitable places in the world. Yeah. It's in the Danakil Desert. It's this godforsaken place where we had to drive for multiple days off-road and then take camels up to the summit, strap all of our gear to, the, to these camels, went uh, to the summit here, and then I was able to drop down inside and walk on top of the crust of the lava lake. Oh, my God. So at some point, the lava sort of level had dropped and the top layer cooled. Mm. And I wasn't expecting that kind of activity. I was expecting something not quite as violent as this, but I was expecting more activity. So we were throwing boulders over the side, trying to see how... how 
like when you're it was. testing ice to see yeah. the thickness yeah. of ice. Yeah, like if you're ice yeah. fishing. Yeah. It yeah. sounds like but imagine walking, doing that on, on a volcano. Like walking, like trying, going, oh, let's try to walk on this lake yeah. in April. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, and you know what? That's exactly what it was like. And I had a moment where as I, I had rappelled down about 60 meters, and I had, I had a rope attached to me, but <laughs> if something goes horribly wrong, they, it's a know, rope. they'll yeah. pull my charred remains yeah. out. But, but at one point, the top layer of rock that I was standing on broke. And I dropped oh. about six inches. Oh, Jesus. But you have that, that oh, shit moment. Oh, your, yeah. your, the, your dick hole and your butthole go. Everything clenches. <laughs> yeah, you're like, <laughs> yeah. And then you realize, okay, I'm still alive. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's good. Right? And then you just move forward. But, but my feet are gone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right? I'm walking on an ankle stuff. <laughs> yeah. So that was my first scary encounter at a volcano. And Every time, there's always something that's going to scare you. Yeah, yeah. But that first one, it was it was new for me. Um, I done I do tons of research ahead of time because the more you know, the more the less chances you have of of failing. Uh, exactly. You know, like, well, you're like talking about how you get good at something, failing. right? Yeah. You get good at something at, because you're good at recognizing patterns. Mm. Whether you're a surgeon, a lawyer, uh, an airline pilot. You can recognize the patterns of the instruments, of the, of the person's organs. Mm-hmm. And the better you are at something, the more <laughs> subtle the patterns that you're able to recognize. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And that goes for absolutely anything if you're good at, at any, any job. Yeah. Totally. Right? So the first time you do something, you don't recognize yeah. the patterns so much. So you learn it's like and you surfing. get better and better. You know, you're out on the water trying to read the waves. The first time you're out there, yeah. you it, have no fucking the idea. The waves all look the same. They, they all look the same. There is, yeah, there's no... But then over time, you start to realize, like, yeah. you see these very subtle differences in the way the water rises and falls, and you go, okay, not this one, not this one, but the next one, yeah. that's going to be the wave. Like, yeah. let's hit that one. You could see that set coming, you, and you know you from know. experience that pattern, yeah. boom, you're all of a sudden, hey, you're a good surfer. Yeah, right. Yeah. Totally. And that applies to absolutely any vocation. So, yeah. and like, I feel like we could just sit here and say, George, tell us. Tell us stories the entire time and just be blown <laughs> yeah, away I know, by every, I know. which I, which I kind of just want to do. But but uh, talking about that moment where you 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 drop six inches and you feel like oh my god for that split second like something very bad could happen. How does that like shift your perspective or or does that shift your perspective on on death like coming that close? Hmm. Well, I've had a lot scarier encounters than that. Tell us Let's, about yeah. it. <laughs> what, can you pinpoint right now? It's really I, whenever people's whenever someone goes, oh, what's your favorite movie? I'm always like, fuck, I don't. That's a really hard question. I don't know. Or like, what's your favorite song? Ah, man, I, don't, I have so many songs that I love. Yeah. Is it? You've done so many crazy fucked up things. Like, is it hard for you to pinpoint the number one scariest incident of your life? No, that's actually pretty easy. Sweet. Nice. Um, what? What was it? And it was completely unrelated to to, to storms. Actually, I was in Kenya. In a cave, Kittim Cave, and this place. Um, have you ever read the book The Hot Zone? No. 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 Okay. the The cave is well known for two reasons. Number one, elephants go underground into the back of the cave. Herds of elephants, and they scrape the cave walls at the back, and they chew the rocks to get salt in their diet. Oh. It's a unique behavior that doesn't Very happen cool. anywhere else in the world. So we wanted to go and try and film that. Cool. But the other reason why the cave is well known is because it was the epicenter for two outbreaks of Marburg hemorrhagic fever, which is the first cousin of the that Ebola virus. bad. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Well, you guys know, yeah. right? Yeah. Hemorrhagic fever. Yeah. Doesn't sound good. No. Right? It does not. So it's in the same <clears throat> string virus family as... It's bleeding out of every orifice of the exactly. body. Yeah. yeah. So you get, you get a headache and a fever, and the next thing you know, you're bleeding out of every, every hole. Every hole. Every yeah. hole. Every. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Right? 
So the bats that live in this cave are somehow related to the virus. Okay. So okay. I'm in there. I've got a world-leading bat biologist with me. We're wearing surgical gloves, Tyvex coveralls, eye protection, helmet, the works. All of it, yeah. Right? And we're going to the back of the cave. And as we get closer to the back, you can start to hear the bats. And they're chirping away. And you get the smell of ammonia. Mm-hmm. And you're wading through the guano. <clears throat> and in the back of the, your mind, you're thinking, this is not the best place to be. And then my cameraman flips on his light because we're trying to film, of course. Oh. Bats don't like that. So now we have thousands and thousands of bats streaming towards us because oh they're trying is, to get out. Is the, when the light snapped on, was the bat biologist like, oh, fuck no. <laughs> <laughs> no, the slow motion. Yeah. Well, what happened was they all start streaming out and they're, they're literally creating a wind of ammonia, uh, and, and, and feces because they're, they're right. emptying their bladders and their bowels as they're flying past oh. us. So we're getting splattered by these Holy bats. Holy shit. Yeah, it's disgusting, right? And I look over at the biologist. His name is Don McFarland. Excellent guy. And he's managed to catch one of these bats because they're crashing Whoa. into him. It's such cl- tight quarters. Right. And he's got one of these bats. And then I lost my mind for a second. I thought, I'm the TV host. I can do this too. So I step into the stream of bats. Now they're crashing into me. I grab one, and I go to show it to the camera. It was a mother with a pup. And you grabbed them both. Like the, the, the pup, pup was, the the pup pup was like holding attached. on to the mom, was yeah, attached yeah, to the yeah, mom. Yeah. And I grabbed whichever bat I could grab. Yeah, like, turns out to be her. Yeah. Very defensive. Ooh. Bit through the glove into my finger. And now I don't know if I've caught this virus, because we know it comes from the bats. Yeah. Right? And bats are very good at transmitting diseases like rabies, etc. Yeah. So if they have this Marburg virus, then odds are so do you. I might be dead in a week and a half. Right. Right? right. So you don't know if you just died. Like being bit by a zombie. Yeah. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Right? It has yeah. that, so it was Did your heart like did your heart just sink? Like the yeah. moment it went through, it's like oh, oh, the, in, the instant. oh my god. There's something about that, the idea of like inst- and, and that's fundamentally different from, oh, shit, my foot just dropped down into yeah. lava. Like, something that will physically harm you. I mean, obviously a disease physically harms you, but there's something fundamentally different of go- about going, oh, man, there might be something in my blood now that is going to kill me. Yeah. In, in yeah. The, Painfully. probably the most horrible yeah. way. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah, it's not a pretty death. And two people have caught this virus from this cave on two separate occasions and both died. So there's been a. So is there no cure for this uh, this hemor- hemorrhagic fever? Hemorrhagic fever. Hemorrhagic yeah. fever. Not really. I mean, you it's treat the like, symptoms like you would with Ebola, and maybe you make it out on the other side, yeah. but maybe you don't. Yeah. And the scary thing, I mean, the worst part was that it wasn't over quickly. I've been in situations where I'm tornado chasing, and a lightning bolt hits so close, I see the sparks come off the ground, and I feel the heat on my face. And it's frightening. Jesus. For a millisecond, you realize you're alive, right. and you move on. Yeah. Or I've had a giant tornado coming at me where you take evasive maneuvers and in a few minutes you're clear you're safe or being in the middle of hurricane katrina it's frightening like being in a blender for about eight hours but then it's over Mm. this was five days of not knowing if your internal organs were melting slow and increasing fear and we're in a remote part of kenya up on mount elgon are vegans actually unhealthy does cannabis ruin your sleep and why are so many men taking testosterone supplements i'm mitch and i'm greg and we're the creators of the popular youtube channel asap science every week on our podcast side note 
By ASAP Science, we explain the science behind a controversial subject with recent research, up-to-date studies, and ridiculous stories so you are entertained while, bam, simultaneously learning. We're here to make science make sense. Download Side Note by ASAP Science wherever you get your podcasts. So, so what, like, like, mentally, what's going on? Like, what, like, what, well, what are you, are you just, are you just... Like, what do you do in that situation? Are you losing your mind? Like, or, or do you, I guess you just kind of have to keep it cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you have no choice really. Yeah. Um, the first thing was I almost threw up just from just the everything. overwhelming, yeah. just the feeling of just the emotions. <clears throat> like right there, the back right bit there. in. The, right, like, the back oh, bit oh, me. Yeah, and as soon as I understood the gravity of what just happened, it was the tiniest little thing, just this little nick, but it could see the drop of blood coming out. And it's like, and as soon as I fully realized what had just happened, I just sort of basically sat on a rock and almost puked just from the emotional overload. Was the camera guy still filming? We filmed the whole thing. No. Made for a really awesome episode oh, in retrospect. <laughs> but yes, we filmed the whole Was thing. Was this on Angry Planet? Yes. Okay. Which episode? Um, I forget what we called it, but it's the... Yeah, it's the, the African Bat Cave uh, episode. Yeah, sure. okay. <laughs> yeah. um, elephant Cave, I think, was the name. Okay. And we never saw the damn elephants either. Oh, no. <laughs> God damn God it. God damn it, elephants. Yeah. Um, but we did find hyena tracks in there, so there were big predators going in there. But it was just overwhelming. I don't have kids. I've chosen not to have kids. And it's probably good that I don't, because I'm still able to do these things without having to worry about them. But I'm married. Did you, and I've got a, you know, if this is too personal, we don't have to touch it, but did you choose not to because of your line of work? I've never really been interested in kids. Sure. And when my wife and I were getting married, it was never a big issue. We weren't, neither of us was really interested in having children. Mm-hmm. And then the more of this kind of thing that I do, the more... It gl- really the hammers more, it home. The more, it really does hammer yeah. it home, right? Yeah. Um, because, well, a number of reasons. Number one, I wouldn't really be able to take the risks and have, and sleep at night. Yeah. I've heard, I I've heard a lot of people say on. that they're, you know, they were like, I, you know, I used to be really adventurous. I would go skydiving and, and I love bungee jumping and, and, you know, whatever, like swimming with sharks or like doing whatever. And then they, they say, but as soon as I had a kid, it changed all my risk assessment, like the, whatever was in my brain, like assessing yeah. the risk on a day to day basis totally changed. Yeah. Cause right. you're a dependent. Now you've got someone totally dependent on you. Absolutely. I know if something happens to me my wife will be fine. Yeah. Like yeah, I she's mean, okay. She'll be devastated, right? but, yes, but she's going to it's she's, she's going to survive. Exactly. Right? exactly. So did that experience in the in the cave, did that alter the way that you kind of went into like the precautions you would take when going into other risky situations? Um well I mean because of what I do, every situation is so very different. One one week I'll be in Madagascar mapping caves, and the next week I'll be in Guatemala rappelling into a volcano for a Burger King commercial, and the next week I'll be <laughs> chasing storms for the Weather Network. Like literally, it's yeah. always different, right? So you learn the lessons, but the specifics change all the time. And one thing that made it even worse was that I had a pair of thick leather gloves in my backpack uh, that I was wearing at the time, and that would have 
would have been fine. The whole exactly. Issue. I could have put them over my surgical But surely, surely there's, there's some type of like... Uh, Don't call me Shirley. <laughs> but come on, Shirley. Classic. Sorry, a little levity to the... Uh, Are you sure you're not a dad? That was, that was a dad joke. That was a dad joke for sure. No, that was just a Leslie Nielsen. Shout out to Leslie Nielsen, yeah. There, but there must be, there must be like some type of, of, of principle or, or lesson that you learn that can be applied to future situations, whether it's whether it's uh, going into a cave or chasing a tornado. Yes, and, and I'll keep it really broad. Um, it's all about preparation. People say I'm lucky. Well, luck is where preparation and opportunity meet. That's right. the crossroad. That's where luck is. That's written on Brian's wall in cursive writing. <laughs> yeah, think, yeah. No, it's, a, it's and, you know what? And it's a little cliche, but it's, but it's cliche because it's true. Yeah, totally. Right? Yeah. The more prepared you are for whatever it is you're trying to do, the more you're able to take advantage of whatever opportunities come up. Yeah, mm-hmm. right? Totally. So in my basement, I've got big bins full of safety equipment and this and that and heat suits and, and, <laughs> and just, just all this crazy stuff. So I prepare myself in terms of equipment. I prepare myself in terms of training, in terms mm. of the people that I bring with me, the biologist I brought with me. I very regularly bring experts in the field that, are, that know more about the particular thing that I'm doing that day than I do. So I, I learn from them. They advise me. So it's all about who the team is, how, prepar- how prepared you are. And, and it, it helps keep me safer. So mm-hmm. we, it's probably pretty easy for a lot of people to look at what you do for work and go, oh, yeah, he probably doesn't give, give a shit about dying because of just all of the... The crazy, the situ- crazy situations well, you I don't, put yourself I don't want to die. Exactly. I that, have no but, desire to die. And I have so, a desire to live. Exactly, Live, and, right? and that's and, fully like and what I'm heart, you know, on my terms. Yeah, exactly. And my question is that it's it, what I'm saying is it's probably pretty easy for people to assume that, mm. and I'm I'm sure, but I'm sure it's way more complicated than that. So what is what has all this crazy stuff that you've done in your life, amazing things? What has that taught you, or how has your perception of death evolved? as a result of your experience? Well, I, unfortunately, one of, the, one of the things that I do experience quite a bit is the aftermath of natural disasters, mm. right? So I get to see firsthand how the suffering of death, how devastating yeah. it can be. Entire towns wiped off the map. Mm-hmm. Like literally entire towns just completely destroyed. And that has always been difficult for me mm. because these people are not like me. They don't Fully, they don't always understand what all the risks are, and things just bad things happen. Mm-hmm. And bad things can happen to anyone at any time. I could walk out of here today, get hit by a bus, and it'd be over. So I want to try and milk as much out of every day that I can, and and take advantage of all that. One thing, the most important decision I made years and years and years ago, and I tell people this story all the time, but I'll, I'll share it with you guys as well is that I made a decision that the purpose of my life is to travel the world, document the most extreme places, and then share what I've seen with as many people as possible. Mm. And to me, that's really important because most people will never get the chance to see the places I've seen, to go to the places I go to. A lot of them don't want to, mm-hmm. but they love to sit on their, you know, sit in the couch and watch. And so I absorb that risk for them. And I know that at some point, I'm not going to be able to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. I'll, something bad will happen. I'm hoping I slip in the shower at home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? right. But, but when, you, when you spend as much time in dangerous places as I do, you, you, you learn to understand and see that death is very much real. It affects every single person. And we all know that intellectually. But it's a difference. There's a difference between understanding something intellectually and understanding it 
emotionally yeah. as well. Really being with that and yeah. like accepting that, right? Yeah. It's th- First responders totally understand this yeah, because yeah. they deal with it on a daily basis. They mm-hmm. see people's lives coming to an end. And, and they have a really good understanding of what happens to loved ones, what happens to you when, when you die. And they fully understand that the same thing is going to happen to them at some point. Mm-hmm. And they viscerally understand it. It's not just some concept, oh, someday I'm going to die. So I should put more money into my RSPs so my family has, has something to live off of, mm-hmm. things like that, right? So there's that disconnect between the intellectual understanding and the emotional understanding. Mm. And I think I got a pretty good grasp on it. Yeah. Is there, you know, your line of work, you're, you're, you're going to really extreme places, you're doing these obviously really extreme things. Has there been a time in your career, whether it be through, um, you know, your work through television or, mm. or, uh, or, or any other like, organization asking you to go out on their behalf and, and show or document, has there been anything that has come up that you've, ju- you've gone, no, I'm not going to fuck with that. Like that's, that's way too far for me or that's way too risky. Or are you just kind of like, bring it on, baby, like whatever you got. Actually, no. I've never encountered something that I've really said no to. Um, I love doing world's firsts. I've, done, I've got a list of world's firsts that I've accomplished. Um, first person to the bottom of this crater, first person to do this, first person to do that. So I, I love the challenge mm-hmm. of the difficult. That I specialize in doing things that are difficult, right? Um, so yeah, I've never... I get really seasick. <laughs> so anything, that's, oh, wow. anything that involves the ocean, I kind of shy away from. <laughs> right. Yeah. But, uh, but other than that, I, there's pretty much anything I'll do. What's, yeah. what's your greatest accomplishment? Greatest accomplishment? Wow. Um, one of my favorite expeditions was in Turkmenistan. And, Where uh, the fuck is that? That's not a real it place. It is a real place. If that? you look on the map on the wall, just go to Iran and go north. It's right there. Okay, I can yeah. see it from here. Oh, yeah, there it is. Yeah. Yeah. There's, a, there's a map behind a f- us on the wall. It's form- a horrible map. Yeah, it's not a great map, but, but it's got Turkmenistan on it, so that's not so bad. I've been to Ka- Kazakhstan once. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's not yeah. too far yeah. from yeah, there. There's a border. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Yeah. 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 Oh, I know what you're talking about. And uh, I was doing a, leading an expedition for National Geographic, and there's a, a flaming gas crater sitting in the, in the desert that's about 100 feet deep, 250 feet wide, and it's been burning... It's leaking methane. It's been on fire for 45 years. Is it called like the gates of hell or the something? The gateway to hell. Gateway yeah, to the hell. The doorway to hell. That's yeah. what the locals call it. Right. Right. So it's this methane. Sounds pleasant. Yeah. Well, they were drilling for natural gas and a sinkhole formed and they thought, oh, let's just light it on fire. It should burn off in a couple of days. Uh, but that was 1971. Burn until the earth's <clears throat> gone. Right. So I wanted to go to this place. I've been dreaming about going to this place and I managed to convince National Geographic to let me lead an expedition to go there go down to the bottom. We stretched fire-resistant ropes across the entire span. I went out to the middle with the heat suit, the good one, not the not yeah, $100, not one, $100 eBay, eBay one. one. <laughs> Air tank, the whole nine yards, rappelled down to the bottom, set foot at the bottom. Twelve people have been on the surface of the moon. Only one person's been to the bottom of that crater. And I was gathering soil Holy samples. shit, dude. It was a scientific expedition. I was gathering soil samples for a, uh, a uh, microbiologist in Chicago. So we took the soil samples from the bottom of the crater, had them analyzed to see if there was any kind of bacteria living in this hot, methane-rich environment. Yeah. Because there are planets outside of our solar system that have hot, methane-rich environments. So I was basically looking for alien life here on Earth. And that was a huge accomplishment. That and we found several species thing. that were not in the DNA database. No way. Yeah, no way. very, very cool. It's and, kind of a cool contrast in, in terms of like when we're talking about space and uh, we we're talking to Chris Hatfield about space, what it does to your body and all this stuff. And how, yeah. the, like, the amount of space exploration that we've done 
but there are still countless places, our ocean being a huge one, huge. Yeah, places, 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 places on Earth that we, that we ha- have like z- little to no data on. Or n- have never seen with our own eyes, yeah. ever. Yeah, yeah. So this is, is that the, the is that the that's the that's the gateway, the gateway to hell. So this is just right this now. is just always on fire. Just always on fire. How deep is it? It's about a hundred feet deep. Whoa, Jesus! For people who are listening at home, just uh, Google Darvaza. And you'd be and Darvaza, if, you, if you didn't Darvaza. have a gas mask on or an oxygen tank or whatever, you'd be breathing. You'd like, be breathing like, methane straight. and superheated other superheated gases. And when you stand on the edge and the wind blows over and it wafts over you, it's unbearably hot. It's really really cool. So would you say that that is your your proudest moment? Uh, it's certainly right up there because it yeah. was it was a world's first. Um, it took us two years to get permission because the Turkmenistan government is so very close. It's like going to North Korea. Yeah. Um, we were successful with the scientific mission, the exploration, again, world's first. So there were all these, and we filmed a TV show while we were doing it. So it was all these different things that all came together. And I was the expedition leader. It was my brainchild. So trying to organize all these things and, and make it all work and do it safely. It was, it was just so difficult. And mm-hmm. that's what made it rewarding was because it was so difficult. Mm-hmm. Totally. Man, that's so cool. That is <laughs> the coolest thing. And it's really bizarre because I've been a photographer for years and I do a lot of camera work and all this stuff. And, uh, and I was born legally blind. I was, right. I was actually Which, just going to come to that because Jeff had informed me. Yeah. Wow. How the fuck? What? <laughs> like, like you do these things. So, so what, what is the deal with that? It, what, what? Um, well, my parents, realized that I probably had some major vision problems when I was started to walk and started bumping into walls and couldn't see where I was going. So I've been wearing glasses since I was three, contact lenses since I was 14. Now I've got now I've got to wear reading glasses plus the contact lenses, which totally sucks. Ugh. It's the worst. Oh man. Getting to that age. Yeah. It's terrible. So without my lenses in, my hand is in focus maybe two and a half inches from my face. And the way the balance works between my eyes, um, we've got two eyes, and most people see 50% out of one eye, 50% out mm-hmm. of the other. I get about 80-20. Okay. So in reality, I only really have the one eye that functions normally, and that's only with the contact lens. So my good eye is maybe minus 16 or worse. The bad eye is even worse than that. So you have, you have your lenses in right now. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And you can see, like, how clearly... Oh, I, can see, you, I can see you guys super clearly. I can see you guys just fine with the corrective lenses. You pop those out, you, everything's just a blur. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. And I tell you, it's... Wearing con- do you guys wear contact lenses? I, I've, I've worn them for Halloween. <laughs> right. Yeah, I put funky ones in sometimes, you know? Getting dust, getting volcanic ash, yeah, getting sulfuric what, acid. Yeah, you're like... All this crap that I deal with on a daily basis is like the worst possible thing you could do for your eyes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> it's awful. Being in a dust storm in Timbuktu, literally in Timbuktu in Western Africa, just in more pain. It feels like someone's stabbing your eyes with a knife. Oh my God. It's Jesus. awful. Yeah. I really shouldn't do what I do. <laughs> so where, where was, where's the last place that you've been? Most recently, most recently was uh, filming a Burger King commercial in Guatemala and Brazil, uh, rappelling down inside a please volcano. Please tell the fucking story, please. <laughs> I, honestly, tell it because it's pretty. It is pretty amazing. Well, yeah, Just, Burger, I, Burger I King. Burger King's got the new uh, angriest Whopper, so it's this spicy <laughs> burger, and they wanted to do something extreme to to showcase this extreme burger. Right. So they called me up because I'm the guy that does this kind of stuff. 
And uh, next thing I know, a few months later, I've arranged so that uh, we go to Guatemala and I rappel down inside the Pacaya volcano, which is very active. It's spewing lava all, every day. <laughs> and so I've got my suit on, rappel down about 100 meters. And not, the eBay, not the eBay Not the suit. eBay suit, the new yeah, suit, right. the good suit. And, uh, and I've got this, uh, like a lantern type thing, mm-hmm. but very sophisticated, very nice. They spent a lot of money on it. <laughs> and uh, I go down to the bottom and I light the lantern on the hot lava. Did you have to like dip it? Or well, it was exploding. There were pieces that were shooting out, so there would be a, these chunks of lava that would land, and then I'd have to go and grab them with my thick, heavy gloves, and then bring them over to where it was less dangerous, and then try and light it off of that because it's still glowing red hot. I'm like uh, when you, when you first told the story, I was imagining you like Tom Cruise Mission Impossible, like lowering down yeah. two inches from the lava and like dipping the lamp into the lava. Yeah, no, you'd become <laughs> you become like the human s'more yeah. if, if, if you were to do that. Yeah. yeah, the heat is just unbelievable. So then I brought it, brought the lantern back up with the flame lit and handed it off to some contest winners who then took it on a road trip through Central America. Like they, the Olympic torch. Like the Olympic torch. Yeah. This, they kept the flame alive the whole time. Uh, meanwhile, I had to go to New York to do some other business. And then I met up with them again in Brazil where they handed the torch back to me at the Burger King and then I'd go and light the grill. <laughs> oh and then uh, they start cooking up the Whoppers. So it was like this crazy, <laughs> crazy thing for a... For a burger. <laughs> kudos, kudos to the ad agency. That's a, that's a super cool idea. Did well, it wasn't yeah. the Olympics at all? Or? Well, the Olympics are in Brazil this year. So there was a tie-in. That's so we finished right. the whole trip in, in Brazil, right? And the, the thing that I loved about it was that, okay, yeah, it's a commercial, it's this corporate thing, but it, it was another world's first. No one had ever gone down to the bottom of this volcano. So they paid me to go and accomplish a world's first. Cool. I'm okay with that. That's a that's amazing. Like one of the things that we come back to what we talked about uh, close to the beginning is is like how you turned your your passion into something that you actually get paid to do. Like how did did you ever know that it was going to turn into something like this? Nope, <laughs> absolutely not. So what, like, how could you possibly? It's the kind of job description you think of when you're seven, and then you forget about it when you grow up and get a job, right? <laughs> so, but like looking back now in hindsight, is is there advice that you could give to somebody to to follow their passion, or is it just like just fucking do it and and hopefully someday somebody notices? Yeah, well, it's not just about just do it. I mean. You could be Shia LaBeouf and just say, do it. But, <laughs> but you, have to be, you have to be smart about it, right? You have, to, you have to be intelligent about your decisions that you're making. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's one thing to be irresponsible, <laughs> I suppose, yeah, yeah. And, and, and just leave all your commitments and just go and, and try and pursue your dreams. But, but damn it, sometimes you can, yeah. you know? And I never, ever imagined that I'd be doing the things that I'm doing now. And it wasn't an overnight thing. It took years, years of slowly doing more and more every year while I was holding down a full-time job working. God, I remember working many, many weeks, 80 hours a week, plus trying to do this stuff on the side. So it was a very slow process and it took a lot of effort and a lot of time. And every single day I tried to do something to keep advancing that career. I think the tie back that is really important is that uh, we are everything that we're talking about here, especially on the topic of passion, mm. is we're talking about mental health. And this was a this was a, a something that came up in a conversation uh, a couple of days ago when we were chatting with it with a girl at a university um, about her student body, and we we're talking about mental health being something that 
we often talk about, okay, well, you've got a mental illness, so we're going to treat you and just try to get you back to square one, back to normal. Um, when, we, when we talk about physical health, we talk about, okay, get back to square one if you're sick, and then go work out, augment your health. But with mental health, we don't talk it, as much about the augmenting once you're at square one. Yeah. And this all ties back to me in terms of your mental health. Like when I'm look, looking at you talking, you look like a, you're like, like you, the yeah, smile vibrant, on your face like kid, when you're yeah, talking like, about yeah. it. It's like, you know, it's obvious that it's, you know, this is the shit that you love right. to death. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like mental health isn't, shouldn't be a reactive thing. Like we're only trying to fix people when they're, when they're feeling uh, pain or struggles or, or down or depressed. It's, right. it's about taking that proactive approach to, feeling good every single day and pursuing and, passion yeah is is a choice it's a choice and sometimes these decisions are hard to make mm-hmm. right like i choose being successful is not so much about what you're willing to do it's more about what you're willing to sacrifice mm-hmm. right what are you willing to give up mm-hmm. to get this mm-hmm. i have given up any type of job stability any chance of having life insurance, any chance of having children, these are major sacrifices. Yeah, yeah big time. Right? Yeah. yeah. But in, in, to me, it's, it's worthwhile. <coughs> right? And it's funny, you mentioned about mental health versus physical health, and I, I personally don't like that there's a disconnect there. Oh, yeah. Um, Tell because, us about it. I know. Uh, I I'm, know. You guys, I'm sure you, yeah. you, you agree. I mean, the, the brain is an organ of our body, and the symptoms of mental ill health are no different no than different. symptoms of ill health of your heart or your lungs or your pancreas. That's right. Right? They just manifest differently in, mm-hmm. in our emotions and in our behavior, right? Because the brain is the part of our body that controls behavior. What's the difference between having arrhythmia or having depression, mm. right? I just think that there shouldn't be that much of a disconnect. Yeah, totally. Yeah. We, we're coming up to the end here. And before we wrap it up, uh, man, this was such a and super fun conversation and what's super so I have to say this I when I was uh, I was probably 14 or something like that um, I got a I got a, a wish from the Children's Wish Foundation nice I could have anything I wanted anything anything in the world I could have I could have you know fucking gone gone to see a volcano in real life or, or swim with sharks or do something cool like that. Except for a cure. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, oh God. Damn it, Taylor. Oh, Why did you rub it in? Oh. <laughs> so I, I, could have had, I could have had anything. And I was such a little turd. And what I chose was a shopping spree at the Halifax Shopping Center in downtown Halifax. It was not even in not even it's like on the west side. It was the most. It is. It's straight. It straight up is. Uh, it's the only regret I have in my life. Yeah, but how old were you? I was fourteen. I know. I know. It was a silly, silly thing. But don't beat yourself up. I, yeah, I'm not gonna stop. I'm gonna. I'm gonna try to stop beating myself up over it. But what's really funny is that I've been talking to the guys about this thing where I'm like, I've got to find a way to get a second chance. Like, I gotta find. I gotta get. I gotta get my second kid's wish, which is such an awful, like awful, selfish thing. It's get out of the way, it, Billy. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. I'm next in line. <laughs> yeah. it's like writing, writing a wrong, like making a redo, so that you can yeah, feel good about yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but someone asked me the other day. They're like, "Well, if you could do that, what would it be?" And I was like, "You know what? I actually, I have no idea. Um, I have no idea because I feel like I, I've, 
I've done everything that I've wanted to do, and I've I've accomplished all like the things that I that I've set myself out to accomplish. I feel really good about those things. I was like, I, I really have no idea. But now I know. <laughs> if I get a fucking second chance, I'm going on a trip with George. I'm going to be like, George, take me on your next adventure. I take people tornado chasing. <laughs> that, that's it. Boom, I'm in. <laughs> Sold. You hear that, Children's Wish Foundation? We, we, let's make it happen. We the can most, turn it into a TV my, show. My, my advice to you <laughs> is become eight-year-old you's hero. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Think about that for a second. Yeah. Dude, Yeah. Absolutely, that's a great way. Of that's well. About. That's that, and that's very similar to what what Drew just left. Drew left us with as yeah. his last message. He said, uh, "A lot of times, people look. They ask you the question. They say, who's your hero? Who's your role model?' And what Drew said is, is I want to be the the, the person. Best, yeah, the best yeah, version of his hero is is the best, the best version, best version of, of, him, of himself. The person he wants to be. Yeah, exactly. We just butchered that. Yeah, like yeah. Five <laughs> just yeah. listen to that episode if it came yeah. out uh, last week or maybe Drew said it best. Yeah, exactly. It's that's not why my, he does that for thing. fucking it's his living. No, he's fantastic. <laughs> but, but yeah, that's the thing. Like, yeah. like be your and that yeah. goes back to what you're just saying now, George. Like, be the the person that your eight year old self want, yeah. wants you to be. Right. Yeah. Man, that. Uh, George, this was sweet. Yeah. Thanks for coming in. Yeah. My pleasure. This is a, a lot of fun. It was fun. really, really fun. Yeah. It was really fun. Uh, where can people find you? What's uh, Are you on social media? I'm very easy to find. Just go to stormchaser.ca. Everything's on there. <laughs> Facebook, easy. Twitter, the works. Nice. Awesome. YouTube. Very, very cool. Uh, thank you all so much for tuning in today. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, we were going to come back with you next week with something else awesome and fun, I'm sure. Uh, please, 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 for the love of all things holy, go on over to iTunes and give us a rating and a review. It, rate it and review it's it. It's changing every time. It's getting better, Taylor. I like it. Uh, it really makes a huge difference. It uh, allows us to get our message out there uh, uh, even further, and uh, we'd appreciate it if you took a minute of your time. Also, we are on Facebook, and we are on Instagram and Twitter, so check out what we're up to. And... Be sure to actually go check it out. We'll probably we'll put that video up of uh, the volcano that we were talking about earlier. We'll put something up so you Man. can see what we were looking at. It was fucking insane. <laughs> go check that out. Uh, that's it for today. I'm Brian. I'm Taylor. And I'm Jeremy. And this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.